So that brings us to Joshua, chapter 1, verse 1. And this first section is preparations for entering the promised land. And basically what you got is God helping them get prepared to actually enter the promised land and to be faithful there. So chapter 1, verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, Yahweh said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river Euphrates all the way to the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises to give them the land, and he promises to never, ever leave Joshua just like he never left Moses. And so these are his two promises. I will give you all the land, and I promise I will never leave you. Now go and take. Now this word, I will give you the land, comes from a Hebrew word called Natan. And Natan has this idea to give, and it has this idea of to give as something as a permanent holding. And he communicates three ideas in this context. First, God makes it clear in this context that Canaan is a gift to Israel from God. The only person who's doing the giving is God. Nobody else is giving it to them. Nobody else. And so this context makes it clear to give is from God. Second, to give, Yahweh also gave the pagan Canaanites to Israel. He's making it very clear that we often think of God giving them the land, but we don't think of him giving them the people. And what he's basically saying is, I'm going to give the people into your hands. There will not be a threat to you. They will be easy. They are more numerous than you. They are more military than you. But I will give them to you into your hands. For us today, this would be our, pro- our problems. When God promises you to give you joy and peace and hope, then he is giving you stress and he's giving you conflict and he's giving you turmoil into your hands to conquer. And he's saying these will be easy to conquer because I'm with you and I'm going to give you the conquer over those things if you just trust me. And the third thing in this context that God is promising is that Yahweh is now fulfilling his promise to the patriarchs. And what he's emphasizing here is, this isn't a surprise. It's not like Christmas, and they're given a gift that they never knew about. What he's saying is that this is a promise I made to you a long time ago. And so not only am I faithful to give you the land, not only am I faithful to give the Canaanites in your hand, but I'm faithful to give you something that I promised you a long time ago. This has always been my plan. This is always what I said I would do. And there's a power to that. It's not like God just kind of gave you something. You're like, oh, it's really awesome. He's like, oh, I just thought of it. It's, this is what I've had for you all along. This is what I've dreamt for you all along. This is something I've been planning and building and creating and bringing you to all along. And that creates, that, that's a much more powerful faithfulness and a, and a, uh, and a love for someone to create this and plan this for a long period of time than just, I had an, an idea the other week. Now, I'm not trying to mean when you give gifts to people and it just popped in your head, but there's a sense that God has been mapping this out and planning this for, the, for a long time. 
So he promises to give them this land. And then he promises that nothing will stand against them. The same thing that he gave to Moses, he's now giving to Joshua. Now, the fact that he says, I will be faithful to you like I was to Moses, and I will never forsake you like I never forsake Moses, is the narrator's way of clearly setting up Joshua as the new Moses. And that Joshua is not as high up as Moses in the fact that he can speak face to face with God, but he is high up in his authority and God using him to lead the people. And so God is making it very clear that Joshua is to be seen as authoritative and as much as the tool of God and as the leader of God, representing God, as Moses was as well. And that's important because passing that mantle and establishing the new leadership is incredibly important, especially when it comes to leading. Then he says this in verses 4 through 9, he makes it very clear that no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. Now that word be strong, courageous is to stand firm in your faith in God and therefore you can have courage because God is with you. But it's the same thing he commanded Moses. He commanded Moses during the wilderness to be strong, courageous. And Moses turned around and told the people to be strong, courageous. Now he's commanding Joshua to be strong, courageous. So that again cues you that Joshua is the new Moses and that God is going to be with him. Be strong, courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers, reminding you of Abraham, to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Repeating that means that there's no reason for him to not be courageous. And be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may not be successful, so that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous a third time. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For your Yahweh, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Now, notice he says, be strong, courageous. And then he says, and be sure to obey all that I've commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Meditate on the words and do not let them depart from your mouth. Be strong and courageous. Three times he mentions strong, courageous. And sandwiched in it is obedience. And what God is saying is the key to their confidence, the key to their courage, the key to their successfulness is not their strength, not their military, not their resources, but their obedience to God. Your key to success is your obedience and faithfulness to God. That's your only key. If you're not obedient and you're not faithful, you're not going to be successful. And we know that. A lot of times the reason we're stressed and filled with fear is because we're not really truly being obedient to God in the way that we should. And what God is saying is, dwell in me, stay in me, be connected to me, and be obedient to me, and that will give you the ability to be strong, courageous, and that will give you the victory. And if you can focus on that, then nothing in this can stand. We're going to see that. Because at Jericho... They're going to be obedient to God without hesitation. 
They're going to be completely faithful to God without hesitation, and they will take the city like that. And then they will not be obedient at AI, and they will fail miserably, even though AI is far more of a pathetic city compared to Jericho. And the minute they deal with their sin and they repent and they get right with God, AI is completely defeated. And that's really the main point that is being told in those two stories there, is that your faithfulness, your victory literally hinges on your obedience and faithfulness to God. Without that, the weakest of problems will overcome you like a raging sea. Now, the other thing he tells them about obedience is not to let the law depart from your mouth. Now, the word mouth and meditate comes from a Hebrew word that has the idea of mumbling. Now, this is a good kind of mumbling. The mumbling and the grumbling in numbers is them complaining constantly all the time against God. But this kind of mumbling is the mumbling the word of God under your breath all the time, so to speak. That's what meditation is. Now, if you were here for the Hinduism class, meditation for most of the people in the world is repeating a phrase over and over again to empty your mind so that everything can be completely empty. But whenever the God in the Bible talks about meditation, it talks about repeating the words of God, but reciting the words of God. Not just repeating the same phrase, like car, 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 that has no meaning, but repeating the word of God and constantly repeating the word of God, which does have meaning and is living and is active. And that when you repeat that over and over and over again, eventually it becomes part of your life. The key to memorizing verses is not memorizing verses. If you sit down and really try to memorize verses, you will pretty much fail. But if you take a verse and write it on a 3 by 5 card and just keep reading it, don't try to memorize. Don't try to memorize. Just keep reading it. When you're in the car, just pull out and read it. Read it one time, put it away, or several times. But don't sit there and be like, okay, this word and this word. If you think too hard about it, it won't work. And eventually, if you just read it over and over and over and over again, you'll memorize it. I have to be honest. I have never successfully been able to memorize anything really well in the Bible. But I have found that I've been able to memorize so many things just because I keep teaching it over and over and reading it over and over again. And this is the idea that Deuteronomy is creating and what God is creating here in Joshua is... The key to memory, think about it. You're little kids. That's how they memorize it. They learned, an incomplete, they learned a foreign language completely on their own just by hearing you speak English all the time. They didn't sit down and work on their verbs and their declensions. They picked up a foreign language and spoke it just by hearing you repeat it over and over again. And that's how they learn most things. Very rarely do small kids actually sit down and try to memorize things. It's repetition. It's not until we get older that we start teaching them to try to sit down and memorize things, and then they're trying to cram so many other things in that they then struggle. But if you have the time to repeat, and that's what God is saying, that's meditation. Meditation is constantly being in the Word of God, constantly repeating it over and over and over again until the next thing you know it's actually a part of you. And that's what God is calling us to and calling Joshua to. And he says, if you do that, you'll be strong and courageous. Because the thing that you're repeating all the time is not the ditties of the world. Think about it. How many commercials and how many songs are stuck in your head? Not because you said, I'm going to try to memorize this slang and ditty and jingle from Little Caesar's commercial. Or this song. It's just because you listen to it so much. You filled yourself with it. 
And that's what God is calling them to. This is what it means to be in the Word of God. It's just to read it, read it, mumble it, mumble it, mumble it all the time. And then that has the idea of also discussing it with each other, repeating it to each other, and talking about it. And God says, if you do this, you'll be successful. So verse 10, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go and take possession of the land. And Yahweh your God is giving you from your own. So, Mo- so Joshua, like Moses, immediately passes that on. And Joshua immediately turns around to his people and he says, we're going to do this. And notice what is different here. Every time God came to Moses and said, let's go do this, or I want you to do this, and Moses turned to the people and said, let's go do this, the people said, oh my goodness, what has God done to us? He has been unfaithful. He just brought us out here to kill us. But God spoke to Joshua. Joshua turned to the people, and that's it. There's no grumbling. There's no complaining. There's no hesitation. And that's the first immediate difference you notice about this generation. You will not see them grumble and complain. And that is a big part of their successfulness. Because for them, they trust that God's speaking through Moses and that God will be faithful. Because they've seen it. They've seen it, unlike their parents. Verse 12, But the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you. Now remember, there are 12 tribes. Well, 13 technically. But in two of them, Gad and Reuben, and then half of Manasseh, when they conquered Og and Sihon, they said, hey, this land looks really good. I know it's not the land that God wants us to immediately dwell in, but we want to settle here. So the first thing is this, and I know this projector is pretty bad, but this is pinkish red. This territory right here is the first territory they conquered on the western side of the, or the eastern side of the Jordan River. And all the tribes were supposed to settle in here. And Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh said, this land looks really awesome and really green. We're afraid that this is going to be too crowded. So already there's a little bit lack of faithfulness. I know that God gave us this land. God said that we're all going to live in this land, but we think it might be a little overcrowded. So we want to settle here. Can we settle there? And this is one of the mistakes of Moses' life. He never consulted God. It's really interesting. Every single time, Moses always immediately went to God. And then this one time he didn't, he just said, sure. That seems reasonable. I mean, God gave this into our hands. We conquered it. It, And it is within the borders of the ultimate promised land. It seems reasonable. And so he gives it to them. But then Moses realized, oh, wait a minute. If they're settling here, they probably won't enter the land and help us conquer. They've already conquered. We all together as 12 tribes helped them conquer this land. And now they get to settle it. And they're not going to do anything to help the other tribes conquer their land, even though those tribes helping them. So he made them swear and promise that they would not build any homes or do anything until they've entered the promised land with all the other tribes, help them conquer the land, then they could go back. And Reuben and Gad and Manasseh said, 
we will do that as long as you just let us leave our like women and children, the ones who are not wanting to fight or capable of fighting there, and the rest of us will go with you. And Moses agreed. The problem is we're not there yet, but this is going to lead to problems because this is a giant rift valley. And it's up on up mountains here on the west side of the Jordan River. And on the east side is a plateau. And this Jordan River Valley is a very deep valley. In some places, it's really deep. Because remember, the Dead Sea is the lowest point in all the world. And that's going to break down unity when you have a giant value, valley between you. I mean, all of us are old enough to realize that we've been really close friends with people. And the minute they move away geographically, that closeness disappears. Even with Skype and Facebook and all that kind of stuff, real true relationship and connection pretty much disappears because it's impossible to truly be connected with geography between you. And you're going to see that happening. And because this isn't a direct sin, it's not a horrible, evil violation of the Ten Commandments, but it still wasn't God's will. And that was enough that it's going to create a rift and a literally and metaphorically, between these tribes. And as we get deeper and deeper into the Bible, we're going to see that this is going to create more and more problems for Israel. And especially when you get to Judges and Samuel, the unity of Israel is going to break down. And in Joshua, they're doing a really good job of maintaining unity. Because when you're only, Joshua only covers about 14 years. And 14 years, it's not hard to bridge the gap of a rift or valley. But as they get 100, 200, 300 years deeper into their history, we fought side by side in the wilderness. We fought side by side in this land. We fought side by side. That's going to be gone. Because when the children are born into these lands, the children are only going to know being on the other side of the river of everybody else. And their unity is going to disappear. And so this is a huge consequence that Moses will never see and Joshua will never really see in their own lifetime. But it's going to have ripple consequences into the future that other generations are going to reap. And we have to think about that time. A lot of times our decisions seem very innocent and we don't reap any consequences, but it reaps massive consequences for the generations that follow us because they didn't consult God yet. So Joshua goes to these guys and says, Remember, you promised Moses you'd cross the Jordan with us. You better do it. And they're like, Oh, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. And they will. And so the book begins with no grumbling, no hesitation from the people, and Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh honoring their promise and saying they will go. but getting ready for the promised land. So verse 14, Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men fully armed must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until Yahweh gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they, too, have taken possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Notice he says that Moses gave you. When we get to the end of the book, it will say this is the land that God gave them. As they divvy up the rest of the tribes. So he says, you have to help us fight until God gives us rest. Now, that word rest is important. That's the same word used when God created the world and rested. Now, ultimately, this has like Sabbath connotations of dwelling with God and resting. But immediately, right now, this word just basically means finishing the work 
that God wants you to do and being able to look at that work and call it good. And the word good in the Bible doesn't mean like a morally good behavior good. The word good means that it is functioning the way that it was designed to bring total and ultimate life and contentment. And so when God looked at his creation and called it good, he was saying all of creation is functioning exactly the way that I designed it, which means it's going to produce total life and bring total contentment and satisfaction. And therefore, when God then entered his good creation and rested, he was able to enjoy his creation and be content and be satisfied and be a part of it and connected with it with nothing hindering that connection. And that's where we get the word Sabbath. And so Sabbath then leads us into this idea that that's what it means to do Sabbath. Sabbath is where you rest with God. It's not the ceasing from work necessarily, but entering the presence of God, being able to look back at your work and say, what I have accomplished is good because God and I did it together. And I did it for the purpose of God's kingdom. And that's good. So I can enter the presence of God, and even though there's still a fallen world out there and there's still lots of things to do, I can enter the presence of God and I can rest with him and truly rest. And I can enjoy his presence and I can be satisfied and content with what I have done because I've done it with him and I've done it for his glory. And therefore, if God tells me to take some time and rest with him, it's not going to overwhelm me and destroy me and I don't need to be stressed because this is all in God's timing. If I'm doing it for my own purposes, then I only have so much time and I only have so much energy and resources and I'm constantly overwhelmed by my work and I never feel satisfied and I can never enjoy and I can never be content. But if I do it for God, then doing it his timing with his resources and when he says stop and rest with me, I can trust that everything will be okay. The world's chaos won't overwhelm me. Things won't disappear because I'm doing this with God. And God said, let's take a break. And then I enjoy him, and I enjoy his company, and I'm reminded of who I am in him and who he is, and that allows me to truly be at rest and content and enjoy God's presence and enjoy the creation that I live in and the creation that I'm creating with God. And that's what that word rest means. So if they conquer the land with God on his terms and his plan, then even when they don't finish totally conquering the land, and God tells them to stop, they can stop and truly rest and truly enjoy the land without a to-do list in the back of their head, without stresses, without wondering if life is going to overtake them because they're doing this with God. And this is what God is promising them. I will give you a rest in the land where you can truly just be content and be satisfied with being with me. Now, that is going to be unpacked a lot more when Christ comes Because when we get to the book of Hebrews, God says Joshua did give them rest, but he did not give them that ultimate rest. And Jesus comes and he promises us a greater rest. Because he promises to eliminate all evil, all chaos, where we can truly be in a creation where the work is truly done. Just like God said, it is finished in the garden And Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. And now we're awaiting the Holy Spirit to finish redeeming the whole creation. So the Holy Spirit can say, it is finished. And so these are the three rests. The rest at creation, the rest of creation from sin, 
and the rest of our salvation, meaning that we're no longer under sin. This is what God's promising them. They agree. Verse 16, Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you send us, we will go. And just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will fully obey you. Only may Yahweh your God be with us as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against the word, your word does not obey your words. And whatever you may, you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong, courageous. So they basically say, we're going to see your words as right up there with Moses. Which means they see Joshua as another prophet. Because the only time that anybody's words are spoken of like that, if we disobey it, we will be killed, is of prophets. Prophets. 